0: welcome back to half the battle i'm your host as always daniel levy and today we're going to talk about ufc 288 aljermaine sterling versus henry cejudo and it's going live this saturday night live at the prudential center in newark new jersey the bantamweight title is on the line you got the champ aljermaine sterling defending against the former two division champ henry cejudo And Henry never really lost his belt at Bantamweight. You know, he actually vacated the night that he beat uh, Dominic Cruz via knockout. He retired that night. And then a whole bunch of messy stuff happened to get to this point. I mean, y'all remember Piotr Yan won the belt. You know, it was vacant. He won the belt against Jose Aldo. Um, You know, he did some good stuff. But then he knocked out Aljamain Sterling with that knee. And then they called Al Sterling the winner. So Al Sterling gets knocked out in a fight and then they call him the champion. So it was kind of crazy. Yeah, I know it was an illegal knee, but it's just funny that like, you know, when you knock a grown man out and they call him the winner, right? Like even Joe Rogan was like, like, okay, maybe Peter shouldn't walk home with the belt after that, but like Aljo shouldn't win the belt off getting knocked out. Like, but that being said, man, I mean, Aljo turned around, he beat Peter in the rematch. Now. I kind of thought the score was controversial. That's me, but so what. Bottom line is, he got his arm raised against Peter in the rematch, and then he mopped the floor with TJ Dillashaw in his second title defense. So, whether we like it or not, Aljamain Sterling is the reigning, defending, undisputed bantamweight champion of the world, and uh, you know Henry Cejudo, one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time, is attempting further greatness here. So. This is just an amazing fight, and the card is stacked. So without further ado, let's get right down to business. So main event of the evening for the Bantamweight belt, we got the champ, Algerman Sterling. He's 22-3, and three, taking on the former uh, Olympic gold medalist, the former two-division champ, Flyweight and Bantamweight, defended both those belts, Henry Cejudo, who's 16-2. and two. Does he still go by the messenger, or, or did he get rid of that nickname? Currently, they got it. Algerman Sterling, minus 120. Henry Cejudo, plus 100. So it's a pick with a slight lean on the current champ, Algerman Sterling. And, uh, I mean, I get it. He's the one that's been active. He's the one that, you know, in people's memories, like, they remember how he just smashed DJ Dillashaw. And even though I'm going to talk a little bit of shit about Aljo's two um, Piotr Yan fights, I'm not going to at all discredit his TJ Dillashaw win. Like, it's not his fucking fault that TJ Dillashaw was allegedly injured, but even that, like, tons of dudes are injured going into fights. And Aljo mopped the floor with TJ Dillashaw, so I'm not going to be one to discredit that win like a lot of people are. But I must also note, Henry Sahuda also fought TJ Dillashaw, and I mean, he got him out of there even quicker. And y'all can say, weight cut this, weight cut that. I mean, TJ was on fucking, he was on the kind of, <laughs> he was injecting the kind of vitamins and ve- fruits and vegetables into his ass that like they banned him for a few years because of that shit. You know, he was coming in there, Lance Armstrong strong, you know what I'm saying? He, and my boy TJ Dillashaw had a Live Strong bracelet when he walked into the octagon against Henry Sahuda, you know what I'm saying? but um so henry he beats demetrius johnson a lot of people thought it was a controversial decision um i don't <laughs> i mean uh i thought it was a close fight um i thought that you had to score it round by round but at the end of the day i still come up with three rounds to two for henry cejudo so while dj's rounds might have been more dominant than henry's like especially that first round one Henry was just getting his fucking calf kicked. And it was like that nerve kind of numbed a little bit. Kind of like y'all remember that Michael Chandler versus Brent Primus fight. And the fact that Henry went through what he did in that first round against Demetrius Johnson, right? Like he's rolling over his ankle. He's doing the whole bit. And then he comes back to win that fight. Like that's a true competitor right there, man. Like I know a lot of y'all are stuck on this whole, Oh, Demetrius got robbed bullshit. Um, no, he did not get robbed. You got to score it round by round, okay? But the fact, like, let, let's even let's even forget, like, who we scored the fight for. The fact that Henry overcame that first round where, like, his leg was completely done, he's rolling all over his ankle. It's like, oh, man, DJ's about to get another first-round finish. The fact that he overcame that and then went on to win subsequent rounds, like, you just got to give a lot of credit to the kind of competitor that Henry Cejudo is. So... He wins the belt off DJ and then TJ decides that he wants to test the waters at Flyway. And interestingly enough, one of the things I criticized Demetrius for for the longest time and all respect to Demetrius technique wise, Demetrius is one of the best to ever do it. But one of the things I always criticized Demetrius for was that he had the option to be the guy to, to beat TJ Dillashaw at Flyway, And he said he wanted to fight Ray Borg instead. So y'all remember Dana's famous quote, you want Ray Borg? We'll give you Ray Borg. But as soon as Henry got DJ out of the picture, he was like, yeah, fuck you yeah, I'll fight TJ Dillashaw. I don't give a shit, man. Like, I'm the ultimate competitor. So you just love to see it. And then he goes up to Bantamweight. And I know now it's easy to say, oh, Marlon Morris has been knocked out six fights in a row. But you got to date back to what Marlon Morris was like at that time. Marlon Marais at that time when Henry fought him, because, like, people love to discredit people's resumes. But you got to look at where the fighter was at when they fought and when henry fought marlon marais bro i mean marlon was knocking everybody out including Algerman sterling right and that first round marlon put it on henry he was attacking that leg he was going after him and when henry was able to take that and then give it back i mean y'all saw those tie clinch knees but more importantly than the techniques that you saw henry display you saw Henry Cejudo single-handedly take the soul away from Marlon Moraes, And Marlon's never been the same since. I mean, Marlon's literally been knocked out, I believe, in seven of his last eight fights, right? So Henry just took the man's soul and then he turns around and he gets the chance to fight one of the greatest bantamweights of all time in Dominic Cruz. And usually like when dudes would beat Cruz, like, I'm not talking about nowadays. I'm talking about, like, back then. I mean, even nowadays, even nowadays, Cruz is, like, still, like, even in his, you know, his prime age or whatever his, um I say prime, even in his, like, you know, advanced age, like, is not an easy guy to get a win off of. And, like, usually when you do, I mean, like, even, like, Marlon Vera was losing, like, the first two rounds, which he is known for, right? But uh, I'm just saying, like, Henry mopped the floor with Dominic Cruz, man. Wins the first round, knocks him out in the second. Um, So it was beautiful to see. And then he retired out of nowhere. I did not expect Henry Cejudo to retire. So there's a lot of talk about what's he going to look like coming back. But let me just say this. If this fight between Henry and Aljamain was, you know, six months removed from the Cruz fight, even a year removed from the Cruz fight, I'd absolutely hammer this plus 100 on henry cejudo now let's talk about this kind of like goat conversation talk right because i've heard a lot of people say that henry cejudo is the goat and while i absolutely think that henry cejudo is one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time to call him the goat in mma i mean like i personally can't put him in front of john jones i personally can't put him in front of gsp I personally can't put him in front of Anderson Silva, but if he wants to be in that conversation of being the goat, I'm not talking about one of the goats. I'm talking about the goat. He's got to come out here after this three-year layoff, and he's got to put. He's got to make a statement against Aljamain Sterling, similar to how GSP made that statement against Michael Bisping, upper weight class. Coming off a three-year layoff, goes in there against the champ Bisbing and doesn't just beat him because GSP was often criticized for being boring and blah, blah, blah. And usually when people call fighters boring, I mean, unless a fighter is like actually boring, like Jake Shields or John Fitch, like Jake Shields and John Fitch are boring fighters. But uh, GSP was not boring. GSP was very intelligent. And if you're losing money on his fights, I can see how you think he's boring. And we're going to talk about someone else that people call boring. And I know why y'all call uh, this guy I'm going to talk about in the co-main event boring. It's because y'all lose every single time he fights, right? But um, real boring fighters are John Fitch and Jake Shields. Those guys are boring. But anyway, so GSP comes back after the three-year layoff, smashes Bisbing, wins the middleweight belt, goes off as a two-division champ. John Jones this year comes back off a three year layoff, right? Goes up to heavyweight against Cyril Gunn. We get the best odds we've ever had on John Jones in his entire career. I mean, since maybe like the Andre Guzmão fight or some shit, like his debut, right? And I mean, like, let's just put it this way Francis and Ganu, like, the final score was three to two Francis and Ganu versus Cyril Gahn. It was a head to head, close ass match. Whereas, John Jones just went out there and mopped the floor with, with Cyril Gunn. Like made him look like an amateur, made him look like all of a sudden now people think uh, Cyril Gahn sucks. Whereas going into that fight, like some sharp people were confident on Cyril Ghan to be John Jones. So the point I'm trying to make, because I know I can talk about this shit for hours. The point I'm trying to make here is that the greats, they can overcome three-year layoffs. They can overcome all kinds of odds and all kinds of things that the normal and average fighter just simply can't overcome, right? So back to this conversation about people saying that Henry Cejudo's the GOAT. Well, like I just said, I don't have him in front of John Jones. I don't have him in front of GSP, and I don't have him in front of Anderson Silva. However, if he wants to enter that conversation, taking out Aljamain Sterling would be a fantastic place to start. Now, let's give, let's give Aljamain Sterling some credit too, man, because aljamain sterling is a guy that i mean if y'all been listening to my show for a while y'all know i've disrespected aljamain sterling i mean i was the guy that went out there and bet brian caraway at plus 350 odds against aljamain sterling and cashed and then i never cashed betting against him ever again right but i always like thought that look he's a ridiculous athlete um He's long. He's got great volume. And then what he's known for is he, he gets that single leg and he's able to transition to the back. And then once see the human backpacks you, like you've seen good wrestlers like, like Cody Stamen, you know, get hit with that knee bar from the back. You know what I'm saying? The stretch, right? I always fuck up the name of that one. Y'all, y'all longtime listeners know what I'm talking about. But um, Aljamain Sterling has done a very good job with this specific body type. That Henry Cejudo brings to the table, whether we're talking about Jimmy Rivera, whether we're talking about um Pedro Munoz, whether we're talking about TJ DillaShaw, uh Cody Stamen, right? So historically speaking, these short stocky guys Aljo's done a great job with. My only thing is that none of those guys had the wrestling credentials or the UFC championship status of a Henry cejudo So this is a big step up in competition as far as I'm concerned. It's just that another thing I'm concerned about is this man, is that what's Henry going to look like on Friday on the scales, right? Like because back when he was fighting Cruz, you know, he was doing, you know, obviously he trains that fight ready and he still try uh trains that fight ready now. But he was doing the fight ready strength and conditioning program Neuro Force 1 and not all the fight ready guys use that program i mean it's fucking expensive you know what i mean but henry he can he's rich he can afford it so going into the cruise fight y'all remember the shape that henry was in like dude like triple c was cocked he was jacked it was like god damn like what kind of strength conditioning program is this man on you know what i'm saying and like it'd be like the most odd techniques like like just the most unconventional strength and conditioning that you've ever seen in your life and like those dudes at Neuroforce One—they know the most intricate details of things that I wouldn't even know the half of—and they narrow it down to a science. So that's why y'all saw after he took it, after Suhudo took his first loss to DJ, he bounced back and he was a lot more fast twitch. He was a lot more explosive. He came in with a different stance. He went on to become a double champ, right? So, what I need to know here is I need to pay attention on Friday. Show me what Cejudo looks like. If Cejudo's fat, (laughs) then, you know, maybe we're switching our pick to Aljamain. But if Cejudo looks cocked, looks ripped, looks like the triple C that was a champ champ, I mean, I think he's better than Aljamain. It's just that how great is Cejudo really? I mean, look, if we're talking like top 10, top 20 greatest fighters, for sure, put him up there. But, when people call someone the goat and i've been repeating myself the goat conversation goes through john jones it goes through gsp it goes through anderson silva and while you gotta respect olympic gold medal uh belts in two weight classes defended both those belts you know anderson silva holds the ufc title defense record and you can give me this dj bullshit all you want but like the fact of the matter is the only reason that Anderson Silva doesn't officially hold the record for most title defenses is because when he fought Travis Luter, Travis Luter missed weight. And at the time when a competitor misses weight, they make it a non-title fight, which is bullshit because nowadays they change that rule. If y'all remember when Justin Gaethje fought Charles Oliveira, Charles Oliveira missed weight. So Charles Oliveira wasn't eligible to defend the belt or to win the belt. But Justin Gaethje, had he won that fight, he would have became the champ. So what I'm trying to say here is, if back when Anderson fought Travis Luter, if they had today's rules, he'd hold the record for most title defenses in in UFC history. So as far as I'm concerned, I still think that Anderson is the GOAT, as far as that's concerned. But John Jones is a guy who, what is he, 28-0, 29-0? Don't give me no 26-1 bullshit. He did not lose to uh to matt hamill he smashed matt hamill and then the dc fight that got overturned i mean i watched two men get into a fight i watched one man knock the other man out so y'all can't oh he had you know a pinch of salt in an olympic swimming pool worth of metabolites and now you're gonna say that that's what taught him the technique for that head kick like shut your fucking mouth man john jones is the greatest to ever do it i mean he's about to be 30 and know if he goes out there and beats a uh stipe ridiculous stuff and we're talking about belts and two-way classes we're talking because habib never lost a fight either but habib only had like three title defenses not discrediting the great habib he's amazing too but jones is just like made his ufc debut never lost a fight <laughs> it's just craziness and he's a two-division champ so i can go off on a tangent about the goats right back to this aljamain sterling comes out there and when he stands up he has ridiculous Output and ridiculous volume, and you go out there and you watch that fight that Aljamain Sterling had against Pedro Munoz, and that's a perfect example of it. Like it might not look the prettiest, actually it doesn't look the prettiest at all. In fact, it looks pretty ugly, um but it's effective because of his length. He's very athletic. He knows how to move, and he just goes for it. So you got to respect that. But one thing I've noticed from Aljamain, whether it's back in the Brian Caraway fight where I cash that plus three fifty all the way to the Pedro Munoz fight, all the way to the two Peter Yan fights is because of his ridiculous output. He tends to slow down as fights progress. I mean, even in that third round against Pedro Munoz, like man, Pedro was landing some stabbing front kicks and you could see that the wind coming out of Aljo and, Ray Longo was pleading in the cor- in the corner, like, shouting, like, Aljo, hang in there, buddy! You know, like, we got to fight one! Just hang in there! And then you watched uh, the two Peter Yan fights, and, like, as it got to the championship rounds, both times, I mean, Aljo was fading badly. Henry is not a guy you want to fade against. But let me just say this. What are the chances here that Aljo is able to just get that single and transition to the back, and then from there, he's insane on the back. You just... You got to give him credit. I mean his back his back control is ridiculous. Like what are the chances he can backpack an Olympic gold medalist? On paper it doesn't sound possible, but like on paper it doesn't mean shit. <laughs> you know, they still got to get in there, man. So what are the chances that Al Jermaine is going to backpack Henry Cejudo? I'd love to I'd love to see. Um it sounds like I said it sounds pretty damn impossible to me, but you know, TJ Dillashaw was a D1 wrestler. Blame it on the I'm not going to be one to blame it on a shoulder injury, bro. I still, I think, like I said, I'm going to discredit Aljamain's title win all fucking day. Like, you got knocked out and they called you the champ? Yeah, that's bullshit. But I'm not going to be one to discredit his TJ win because as far as I'm concerned, TJ Dillashaw and Aljamain Sterling got into a fight and Aljamain Sterling mopped the floor with TJ Dillashaw. So I'm not going to discredit that. The ones I'm going to discredit are the two Peter Yan fights because, like I said, the first fight, he got knocked out. The second fight comes down to how you score the first round. Second and third rounds, clearly Aljamain. Fourth and fifth, clearly Peter. How do you score the first? Well, I was live in attendance in Jacksonville for that fight. And live, like when it went to the scorecards, I thought without a shadow of a doubt that Peter won that fight three to two. Now. When I went back and watched it again, then I was like, okay, I could see how Aljo got it, but it just wasn't emphatic. And like when a champ is like slowing down badly in, in the championship rounds, it's just not a good look. And it's something that, you know, someone of the competitive status of Henry Cejudo can absolutely capitalize on, man. So again, it comes down to me, like, show me what Cejudo looks like on Friday on the scales. Like, like I said, if this is just for a quick little cash grab, which seems uncharacteristic of a guy like Secueto to do, because he's got money, he's good to go. If this, if if he comes in here with love handles, he's fat, he didn't take it seriously. Okay, then then we then we can change the pick to Aljamain. But if this is the real Triple C, I'm talking like if he's cocked, shredded, you can tell he put in the work. Um, then I think Aljamain's in deep shit. So. Just comes down to what we're getting from Sahudo, because we we all of us know what we're getting from Aljamain. We're getting crazy volume. We're getting crazy athleticism. If he can take the back, he's super dangerous there. So we know what we're we know what to expect from Aljo. We don't know what to expect from Sahudo. But like I said, bro, if this was Sahudo six months from who from the cruise fight, and you give me plus one hundred, it's a no brainer. But it's not. It's three years removed. So show me where you rank amongst the goats. Like, your whole team's calling you the greatest combat sports athlete of all time, calling you the GOAT. And I'm not saying that you can't be there one day, but I'm just saying, like, to get past the John Jones, the GSP, and Anderson, you need a little bit more. Coming back off a three-year layoff and dethroning Aljo, that would be a huge step in the right direction. So, my pick is Henry Cejudo here. It's just, again, um, I reserve the right to change this pick if on Friday, on the scales, Henry, you know… If he's, uh, <laughs> if he's been hitting up the pizza shop, if he's been, you know, eating that stuffed crust, extra parmesan, like if that's the case, then you got to go Sterling. But if I, you'll be able to see right away Friday on the scales if Henry's been taking this seriously or not. And if he has, then I'm going with the better fighter here, and that's Henry Cejudo. So Henry Cejudo will be my pick. Um. Oh, here we go. Co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division. Man, I am so excited to see this fight. So, we got Bilal, remember the name, Muhammad. He's 22-3. and three. Taking on Gilbert Durino Burns, who's 22-5. and five. Currently, they got it. Gilbert Durino Burns, minus 125, the comeback on Bilal, remember the name, Muhammad is plus 105. Long time listeners of Half the Battle know exactly what side I'm on in this fight. But before I I talk about my bet and all that, um I mean, I'm not going to just sit here and <laughs> disrespect someone on the caliber of Gilbert Burns. Like Gilbert is ridiculous, man. Like this is a dude who is a world champion in no-gi jiu-jitsu, um which like that will translate to MMA really well as y'all have seen watching his career, right? And he's got some insane power, man. Like so I was watching that fight between Gilbert and Jorge recently, right? And people were saying that that was a shitty performance from Gilbert Burns, like, bro, I disagree. I do not think that was a shitty performance by Gilbert Burns at all. Like maybe the strike count was a little bit low for like our liking, like in terms of like, if we like these guys that come out here and put up big volume okay maybe the volume wasn't necessarily where i like it to be you know only 42 significant strikes but let me tell y'all something some of these shots he was landing on jorge masvidal i was shocked i was shocked that masvidal didn't get knocked out because like man those fucking overhand rights those left hooks those uppercuts that he was hitting masvidal with i was like damn What's Masvidal's chin made out of? Because, like, those same shots wobbled Kamaru Uzman. Those same shots dropped Hamza Chimaev. Those same shots have knocked out a plethora of people, whether it was at 55s or at 70. Gilbert Durino is a KO threat. Obviously a huge submission threat too, but I'm just saying on the feet, because I, as y'all, you'll probably know who I'm picking in this fight, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, so what, I, what are my concerns here? Um, you know, I'm not as worried about Gilbert taking Bilal down. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Gilbert takes the back of Bilal or something. Yeah. Then I'd be like, fuck. But like what I'm worried about most as someone on Bilal here is that, you know, Gilbert kind of chopping him down with those calf kicks. Like, for example, if y'all watched the Luque fight that Bilal had, the second one, Gilbert was in the corner of Luke. And one of the big pieces of advice he kept telling Luque was keep chopping down that calf. Keep chopping down that calf. So I know for a fact, if that's the advice he was giving his teammate, um, I'm pretty fucking sure that Gilbert is going to try to implement that same strategy. One that even Diego Lima had a little bit of success with. So I expect Gilbert Drino's plan to come out here, try to chop down the calf kicks, uh, uh, chop down the legs with the calf kicks, and then try to set him up with something big over the top try to set up that overhand try to set up that left hook try to time an entry um to a takedown and and you know intercept it with an uppercut with a knee whatever i think gilbert burns is going to try to knock out bilal muhammad and that's my biggest concern so on the bilal side because we know what gil brings to the table insane jujitsu and one punch knockout power he's been maturing he's been you know paying his dues like crazy He's in his peak form this is the final version of gilbert durino and he's a pretty damn good final version especially if you go back to some of his fights at 55s where his uh, striking defense was not the best at all i feel like he's been tightening some things up man so i love what i'm seeing from burns but bilal is my guy and y'all that call bilal boring um i'd wager my whole bankroll that y'all just call him that because y'all lose money on him every single fight y'all underestimate him habitually y'all don't show him the respect he deserves like i said a boring fighter is john fitch a boring fighter is jake shields Bilal's is not boring you're just a fucking hater that loses money every single time he fights that's all it is because because look at this when we talk about Bilal muhammad's last uh four fights right every single time has been a different approach against damian maya he goes out there he stuffs 21 takedowns he wrestles in reverse against Wonderboy Thompson, he lands 7 takedowns and he almost gets a first round stoppage with ground and pound. Had it been a different ref, you'd be looking at Bilal Muhammad having a first round ground and pound stoppage over Steven Wonderboy Thompson. In the Luke fight fights him drastically different than he fought Maya and Thompson. The way he fought Luke, he was very elusive on the outside. He's switching stances a lot. He's firing a devastating body kick and If y'all want to talk about, oh, does Bilal have power? Uh, Ask Vicente Luque or any of Vicente Luque's teammates what that Bilal-Muhammad body kick felt like. Because war on the street is Luque got hurt right away. But knowing the warrior, the poker face, I mean, just the silent assassin that Luque is, he was able to hide it a little bit. But he got dominated that fight. Next fight against Brady fights drastically different against Brady than he did against Luque. Against Luque, like I said, circling on the outside, kind of elusive, switching stanzas, timing that body kick, timing that blast double. With Sean Brady, he literally, <laughs> he literally walked Sean Brady down and said, look, we're going to draw a line in the stand. Uh, we're going to draw a line in the sand and we're going to stand and bang until one man falls. And I am so pissed off at the ref in that fight for stopping it when he did. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think it was an early stoppage at all. I thought that uh, Sean Brady got his shit pushed in. But the reason I'm mad at that ref is because the ref robbed Bilal Muhammad of a highlight reel knockout, just like the ref in the Steven Wonderboy fight robbed Bilal Muhammad of a first-round stoppage. And the whole, oh, Bilal's boring. Roo, roo, roo. I lose money on him every fight. Like That whole bullshit. Like, yeah, that's because the ref robbed him of a first round stoppage against Wonderboy. And then against Brady, they robbed him of a highlight reel stoppage. It was a good stoppage. But like, let Brady go down so Balak can finally get his fucking highlight, man. Like, goddamn. So I was kind of bummed about that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I wasn't bummed about catching that ticket, that plus 115 ticket. But I was just like, man, like, come on, dude. And Brett said, besides the racism, I really like Balak, bro. Stop with that bullshit. What he said. Oh, because Colby's white. Like, y'all think he was serious? Bilal's a jokester. Bilal trains with all kinds of people from all kinds of races. Bilal is not racist. Don't spread bullshit narratives. Um, But back to this, man. So now, now let's talk about my history betting Bilal because I got it written down. So check this out. <laughs> so when, when sometimes y'all find your money trends where, like, you just bet someone every single fight uh, because – like when I say this, you got to listen to what I'm saying closely because it might sound like, oh, you're just a fan of his, so of course you bet him, uh, you know, every single fight, but it's like, no, he's like a good price every single fight, there's value on him every single fight. It was dog odds against Wonder Boy, it was plus 160 against Luke, it was plus 115 against Brady. I got plus 125 against Burns, so it's not like I'm out here like. Oh, I have to bet him every fight. So now I'm going to go lay minus 500 where there's no value. No, no, no. You get value on this guy every fucking fight. So I've bet on Bilal, I believe, in 11 of his fights. (laughs) I'm 10 and 1 on Bilal Muhammad fights for plus 15.99 units and a roughly 61% ROI. So, so what I'm trying to say here is like when you have numbers like that betting, also, if y'all had. 16 unit profits and a 60 something uh, a 60 something percent roi betting this guy you would not think he's boring people think he's boring because uh <laughs> because they lose on him every single fucking fight uh and that's just the bottom line because there's nothing boring about this guy he comes in with a different game plan every time he's smart uh he's thoughtful he's intelligent so how do they match up i mean listen what i want to know is what game plan is coming in here with because like i said. Every single time you see Bilal, um, it's a different game plan. So I don't know if he's going to approach him like he approached Brady, go right after him. I don't know if he's going to be elusive like he was against Luke. But what I do know is I think the path to victory for Burns, Burns has to badly compromise Bilal. He has to drop him. He has to wobble him. He has to knock him out to win this fight. Because historically speaking, when guys beat Bilal Muhammad, they hurt Bilal Muhammad like no no one's out here out working Bilal. No one's out here out hustling. Like I'll, I'll tell you all this. Let's assume Burns does not get like this early finish or something like that, and let's assume this fight goes on to the third, the fourth, the fifth rounds. It gets extended. When y'all look at that box score, I mean you're gonna see that the strikes landed by Bilal. I mean I think he might even double up Gilbert uh, on strikes. I think his pace is tremendously different. His output is different than Gilbert Burns um but i think gilbert has a bit of a power edge so that's what i'm most worried about um and that's what i'm always worried about when i bet on bilal i'm not worried about bilal getting out hustled i'm not worried about someone breaking his will like you're not going to break you can't break a guy like bilal he's too mentally strong so so to beat bilal you must hurt bilal you like you must compromise bilal and gil does have the ability to do that so I'm not discounting Gill's possibilities, but back to my point, man. I mean, this is Bilal's chance. Like they're not they're not giving him any easy fights. He's had to go through everybody to finally get this number one contender fight against Gil Burns. You're giving me dog money again against the guy who I think will thrive in five round fights. So let's. I know my my uh, sphincter is going to be puckered these first uh, ex- these first few exchanges. But I think that once Bilal kind of starts to get the timing of Gilbert Burns, assuming he hasn't been badly compromised or even stopped early, I think he's going to take over this fight. And don't be surprised when this hits the third round and you see Bilal shoot a takedown on Burns on the no-gi world champion and hangs out in his guard no problem, something that Hamza wasn't willing to do. And don't be surprised when Bilal Muhammad starts to double up Gilbert Burns on strikes. And don't be surprised if Bilal possibly gets a late stoppage fourth or fifth round. So, again, it's contingent on a lot of things, just like most fights are, right? But uh, at the end of the day, give me the guy that's built for five rounds. Give me my money train. Um, we're riding this, this train until the wheels fall off, bottom line. And we're getting a dog odds. Once again, it's a no-brainer for me. So three units, Bilal Muhammad plus 125. Let's go out there and secure this title shot, kid. So, Bilal Muhammad is my pick. And I hope y'all heard how much respect I have for Burns because he's someone I would never disrespect. Now, featured bout in the strawweight division, we got Jessica Andrade. She's 24-10, and 10, taking on Yan Zhaonan, who is 16 and 16-3. And currently, they got it. Jessica Andraj, minus 200. The comeback on Yan Nan is plus 160. So how like ironic and coincidental is it that like my two biggest money trains in the last five years are not only fighting on this card, are not only fighting back-to-back, but are also available at dog odds once again. So let me tell you all about my history betting uh, Yan Nan. Because again, y'all can say, oh, I'm biased, this and that. Yeah, I mean, I am biased. I mean, this is like my money train. But let me just say this: even if Bilal and Jana lose, we're still up lifetime on both. These are system plays. This is this is it, it's a no. You give me you hang up plus one sixty on Yan Nan against anybody in that weight class, and it's a no brainer for me. And y'all might give me this Carla bullshit. I even better there too. <laughs> but uh, just saying, like since that fight, she got out her comfort zone. She went to California, trained with Team Alpha Male with uh, Uriah Faber and crew. Uh, I mean, she got, like I said, and then since then she went on to survive as a white belt on the mat with Mackenzie Dern. But let me tell you all my history with Yan now So check this out. I've bet on Yan Zhaona in every single one of her UFC fights, right? So I'm seven and two, just like Yan Zhaona is seven and two, um, for plus 13 units and a 37% ROI. So, why the hell would I not go back to the well here when you're hanging a plus 160 in front of me? Like, look, we're going to show Jessica her respect here in a second, but I love Yan Zhao Nan, man. I mean, even in her debut when she fought Kylan Curran, Kylan Curran, someone who ended up going like one and six or one and seven in the UFC, Yan Zhao Nan was minus 130 against Kylan Curran. And I max bet her. And then watching her regional fights prior to that, She was sidekicking these chicks in the face, and it was like, "Damn, this is a chick that might be a force to be reckoned with one day." And here we go; she became one. So, you know, it's like it's like I, the same way I felt with like Jamal Hill when he first came to the UFC. Like, just certain fighters catch my attention, and you jump on that money train, and they keep getting uh, disrespected. So, we go from Kylan Curran, who is a joke, to you make it past the Claudia Gadelias, the Carolinas. Um, you get a couple roadblocks along the way, you know, with Carla. She got badly exposed there. Then she goes in there against Marina. As far as I'm concerned, she bounced back against Marina. It was plus 250. Give me plus 250 on Yan Shana against Marina any day of the week. Like, I wasn't even mad that I got robbed on that one. I was like, dude, I made a great bet. I'd make that bet 10 times out of 10. So, McKenzie fight. That's where... I was really happy. So I got that plus 235 on her there. And like Yan Jana was a white belt, a white belt at the time. And y'all remember against Carla, she couldn't get back up. She couldn't survive anything. She got smashed. So from the work she put in from the Carla fight to get to the McKenzie fight, McKenzie is a black belt, like what world champion or just a really well-respected black belt. Uh, you know, she comes from a family of black belts. I mean, her dad is, fucking megatron diaz you know what i'm saying bro uh or a megaton you know whatever they like to, yeah y'all know what i'm talking about but she goes in there against john against uh, Mackenzie dern as a white belt and survives every single submission attempt every single bad spot um doesn't lose you know her cardio doesn't lose her composure goes out there and does exactly what she needs to do to win the decision so if you can survive on the mat with Jan, with uh, Mackenzie Dern as a white belt, that has to increase your confidence to that next level. And as a result, she got promoted to blue belt. So, Yan Xiaonan, I love seeing it, Chick. I love seeing it, my girl. You went from fucking getting smashed against Carla to, you know, you put your ego aside. You moved to California with Uriah Faber. And now you're out here as a white belt, surviving on the mat with Mackenzie Dern. Well deserved promotion to blue belt. So I love to see it. So now going into this fight with Bata Eshtaka, Jessica Andraj. I mean, what can I say about Andraj? This is a young lady that she puts the fear in her opponents. Reason being is that the girls that fight her, they've never been hit the way that Jessica Andraj hits people. It's almost like a dude is hitting you. And I, and I say that with, with all due respect, of course. Um, and I even remember back when I went to, um, UFC 199, the night that Bisping knocked out Rockhold, a lot of great fights on that card. And, um, I saw a fight there between Jessica Andrade and Joanne Calderwood and Joanne Calderwood kind of, you know, has kind of like, la- you know, the law, lo- the long striker prototype. And you should have seen the face of Calderon when, when she started getting hit by those shots. The striker was like, yo, fuck this, man. And even like Rose Nama Yunus. But let me give Rose credit because we're we're giving examples of kind of longer strikers, which is what Yan is gonna be in this case. Rose was popping the head back of of Jessica Andras, both the fights. Now, the the first fight, she ends up getting slammed on her head. Reason being they were in a situation where they were pinned up against the fence, and you start to go for standing Kimoras. Um And that high crotch takedown is there all day. I mean, y'all that saw that Rory McDonald versus Nate Diaz fight where Rory McDonald hit like three suplexes on uh, Nate Diaz. Reason being, Nate Diaz kept going for that standing Kimura. Um, And that's exactly what Rose Namajunas did against Jessica Andrade the first time. She got pinned up up against the fence, decided to go for the standing uh, Kimura, and as a result, she got slammed on her head. But prior to that, she was popping the head back of Andrade big time. You go back to this last fight against Blanchfield, where I actually bet Blanchfield at the exact same odds as I'm betting um, Yan Zhangnan. And Blanchfield, let's not even talk about the submission, because I, I don't. I, I mean, look, Blanchfield is a black belt. Yan Nan is a blue belt. So obviously, Yan Nan does not have the the grappling credentials of Aaron Blanchfield. Like no shit, no questions asked, right? But one thing that Aaron Blanchfield did in that fight so nicely that I think is gonna really aid Yan Janan is um Aaron Blanchfield was tagging up Jessica Andras with straight punches. She was popping that head back over and over. And Jessica uh, and uh Aaron Blanchfield isn't quite as comfortable as a striker yet. She's kind of still you know honing her craft. You know, she's great on the map, but she's kind of still figuring out the stand-up part of things. And she was having great success with those straight punches. Now we get the lifelong striker who I know is going to be popping that head back at Jessica Andraj. Um, she's going to be lighting her up. She can be circling on the outside, some good footwork, some great counter. So my biggest concern here is that, you know, Jessica does hit different. So I'd love to see how Yan John uh responds to getting cracked by these shots. My opinion is that she's tough enough to take it. I mean, she, she's, she's a mean bitch. And when I say that, I mean it like a compliment, you know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, I guess what I'm most worried about is sometimes as fights progress, the power, I mean, the pressure of Jessica Andrade tends to get to these, to these girls. So I'm worried about, you know, late second round and the third round, maybe Bata and Andrade can take over. But honestly, man, I think that Yanchana is going to come out here. Ta- tag her up, man. Straight punches, the jab, the cross. The sidekick to the face she's got a beautiful sidekick to the face. go after there give give me two of these rounds if we stop her, we stop her. I'd love that kind of like why Lee stopped her i'd love I'd love a stoppage because I've been saying one of these days Yan Jalan is gonna knock someone out with a sidekick to the face, so I'm down to see you know I, i'm I'm down and this is the first time, but I'm not banking on it you know Andraja's is super durable, super um experienced and her pressure gets the people dropping the straw weight again here but uh you you hang a plus 160 on yan chowna and against anyone in the weight class and before someone says tatiana tatiana's up at flyway so don't, don't don't even try me on that bullshit. you hang a plus 160 on yan chowna and against anyone in the weight class and it's, it's an, i mean it's a system play just like balala dog bunny i have to do it so i got three units on uh, Yan Xiao at plus 160. Three units on Bilal at plus 125. Need one of them to win. One of them wins because both are dogs. My money management's on point. Profitable evening. Both of them win. It's red panty night. It's red panty night. Both of them lose. Let's not talk about it. But I-, I I I believe in these reads. One of these is gonna get it done, if not both. So let's fucking get it, man. Three units, uh Yan Zhaonan, plus one sixty. Let's go now um next up next up in the featherweight division we got a matchup between movsar evloyev he's 16 and oh that's pretty fucking hard to do in mma taking on diego lopez who's 21 and 5. currently they got it um have odds been released on this fight yet uh it doesn't look like it but i'm assuming what minus 700 uh evloyev or something like that um yeah, no odds yet, but listen, Evloyev's gonna be a big favorite here, and rightfully so. Um I mean, Evloev's got so many great qualities about him. He's a guy that can go out there and attempt and complete a ridiculous amount of takedowns, not get discouraged. But don't sleep on a stand-up either, man. Like he's a dude that like um he's very calculated on the feet, doesn't take any unnecessary risks, maybe a little Russian coast in there, but like he's a winner. Now have there been some cause for concerns in certain spots yes like for example the grundy fight he was in a fucking tight ass darsh choke and so i guess the negative is that he was in that situation but the positive was bro did you did you all see the defense that uh, that evloev showed to escape that Darst choke like just the littlest of space he was able to get to get out of there i was like god damn this kid, you don't know, just got the skills. He's got, he's got that dog, too. You know what I'm saying? And then the Nick Lentz fight, right? Like, he was, like, minus 600, and it was a split decision. Now, while I personally thought it was a clear win for Evloyev, there were still spots where, like, he was in a deep guillotine. Now, granted, Nick Lentz has one of the best guillotines um, in the history of that weight class, but uh, still, he's been caught in some some weird spots from time to time the third round against Hakeem Dawudu, after absolutely mopping the floor with Dawudu, third round, you know, he's starting to fatigue, starting to get tagged up a little bit. The only reason I'm talking in these terms is because it's going to be like minus 700, minus 750, maybe even minus a thousand. So, you know, you just have to understand that like, you know, Evloev, he's been dominantly and decisively winning, but there, but he's been, but he's lost rounds in certain fights. So you just got to bring that up. As far as his opponent Diego Lopez, I mean, listen, I'm a fan. He's he's a he's a solid jujitsu guy. Um, he's beat champions outside of the UFC. You know, like Marco Cycle Beltran. The the I forget if he's the Lux Fighting Champ or the Aries Fighting Champ. But Marco Cycle Beltran was the guy that beat Cheeto Vera in both of their UFC debuts. I don't know a long ass time ago, but just saying, like he's beat some some pretty decent guys, some UFC vets. Um, he's got arm bars. He got he's got knee bars. Um. He's actually a competitive grappler himself, so he's, he's got some good shit going for him. I like him. He's tall, long for the weight class. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think that Diego Lopez, and for y'all that, that don't know, he was the guy that fought uh, Joe Anderson Brito on contender series. Like, I, I think that Diego Lopez can probably survive to the decision. So, I mean, if they disrespect, like. You know, if they they think this is an under one and a half situation, not saying it won't be, but I'm just saying if they think it's that and like the over one and a half is dog money, maybe take a look because while I don't think Diego's going to win, I think he's got a good chance to survive these three rounds. So I'm going to go Mobsar of Loyev, unanimous decision. Now kicking off the main card in the featherweight division, we got Gracie, Gracie's five and one taking on Charles Air Jordan, who's 13 and six. Currently, they got it. Charles Jordan minus 175. The comeback on Kron Gracie plus 150. Uh, I mean, listen, man. Uh, Caron Gracie, obviously a very well respected respected name in the jiu-jitsu community. And a guy that, you know, didn't he like tap out Gary Tonin and just do a bunch of other crazy shit in jujitsu? Even had like a great match with Benny. When Benny fought him, uh, or grappled him, Benny made a name for himself that night. But um, so the whole thing is like, well, we know without a shadow of a doubt that Jordan should be the better striker here. Um It's just that Jordan, you know, like in that Lando fight, he threw a kick and then he fell. Like <laughs> Charles Jordan is not that hard to take him down. He might also, like I said, throw a kick and slip, like something like that. It could only take one back tick from Crone Gracie. But let me just say this. The reason that I'm not in a rush to bet Gracie, and I know – some respected opinion that some people that i personally respect uh went in there on gracie um my issue with gracie in mma is that he doesn't quite have that urgency for the takedown right like in his in his two ufc fights he only attempted two takedowns in both those fights and you watch the cub swanson fight which was an all-out war um and crone only attempted two half-hearted Takedowns, and then he was like, "All right, I'm down to bang." So, like, yeah, I, I respect the balls. Like, this dude is a true fighter. You know what I'm saying? So, you got to give him credit. The guy's got balls, and most likely he's gonna come out here and try to stand a bang with with uh, uh, jordan and that that's what I think is gonna be his downfall. It's just the reason that I'm not, you know, champing at the bit to lay minus 190, minus 175 is because I'm very well aware: one back take, one slip, the guy gets the full mount. That could not only be the round, that could be the fight, right? So that's that's the thing to worry about. But the reason I'm picking Jordan is I don't think the urgency of Gracie for those takedowns is quite there. Um, I think he's a guy with a huge ego. I think he's a flat earther, and I think he's going to want to come out here and stand and bang with Charles Jordan when he gets tagged up a little bit. I think he'll shoot some half-hearted takedowns. Hopefully Jordan can stuff those because if he can, I think he's going to light this dude up. So give me uh, Charles Jordan uh, for the win. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Drew Dober. He's 26 and 11, taking on Matt Frivola, who was 10 and 3. Currently, they got it Drew Dober minus 210. The comeback on Matt Frivola is plus 180. So, I mean, come on, man. I'm such a fan of both these guys. You know, Drew Dober, I mean, him and Dustin Poirier are tied for the most knockouts in UFC lightweight history. Now, Dustin's got more knockouts because he was knocking dudes out at featherweight prior but just saying in the lightweight division Dober and uh, Favola are tied. And Dober's making a lot of leaps, man. I mean, like I feel like his uh, get-up game's gone a lot better, his takedown defense is starting to patch up. Uh, you know, might, might not be on the caliber of his striking, but um he's definitely just a legit top 15, top 20 guy. Period. And Matt Frivola, another guy, how can you not love Matt frivola Like even in that UFC debut where he got knocked out like in, um, in like 60 seconds against Marco Polo Reyes, who tested positive for Mexican steroids, like, Dude, Matt Frivola goes for it. Matt Frivola is going to bite down on his mouthpiece, and he's going <laughs> to paint that line in the sand. He's going to go toe-to-toe with you until someone falls. Also, he's got a wrestling background, been dropped his fair share of times, and has dropped people his fair share of times. So don't sleep on the power of Frivola. Um, And also, dude just seems like a great guy. I love his personality on Twitter. Uh, his brother interacts with us a lot. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, how, how can I not just like... I got nothing bad to say about Matt Frivola or his camp. All respect to them. Super cool guys. Love the fighting style. I I just think that more often than not, uh, Drew Dober probably somewhere along the way catches uh, Matt Frivola, man. Um, Like I said, I think both of them are going to stand. And I don't discount the possibility of Frivola landing some hard shots on Dober, too but while i don't think that Frivola's chin is as bad as some may say um i think that dober's durability is significantly better but that's not to say the perfect shot can't put him out um but just saying more often than not i think dober gets by this one with with his power shots and if he's able to also stuff takedowns or get back up from bottom and then just get right back down to business um you know i gotta go with drew dober on this one I, I i just think i just think he's slightly ahead of for but you can't count out for i mean he's a guy like i said he's been paying his dues he's a guy that um i could see him in the top 15 one day just has to keep working keep that nose to the grindstone um but yeah not nothing bad to say about him i'm just going I'm, i just think dober beats him period so for that, for that reason i'm going dober no bet um next up in the 205 pound division y'all do me a huge favor we're reaching the hour mark smash that like button for me and if you're not subscribed please do me a huge favor and subscribe and then once this is over leave me a comment all those things help out there you know (laughs) i don't want to diss their their their, the algorithm or any shit but like yeah certain things i don't understand but y'all helping out y'all help me out that share that comment whatever that like that subscribe It goes a long way. So, thank you very much. Next up in the 205 pound division, we got Devin Clark. He's 14 and seven, taking on Kennedy and Zechuku, who was 11 and three. Currently, they got it Kennedy and Zechuku minus 180. The comeback on Devin Clark is plus 155. So, some action has come in on Devin Clark. And I got to be honest, maybe y'all should kind of like discount what I say about this fight because I've always been historically. Super low on Devin Clark. I've been disrespectful towards Devin Clark. Um, and the reason, and even when I say that, you know, he is a 500 fighter. So I've at least been right 50% of the time, right? Picking against him almost every fight. Uh, but uh, I mean, what Devin Clark brings to the table is, you know, he can push you up against the fence. He can mix in some takedowns. He can kind of slow down the pace of the fight. On the feet, he's kind of spastic, runs in with his chin straight up in the air, kind of like Derek Brunson style, just not as good as Derek Brunson. Um, so if like you're not quite on the UFC level, you haven't paid your dues, Devin Clark can definitely expose you. But let me let me say something else, man. I heard people talking about how Devin Clark's last fight against Dao Jung was like this breakout performance, and he looked great and this and that. Like, bro, he landed under 40 strikes in that three round fight. And his opponent Dawun Jung landed under twenty strikes in a three round fight like that. That's his breakthrough. Like that. Like stop it. Those numbers are are bad. And then with Kennedy, I mean, y'all know about the physical attributes. He's been getting more comfortable inside the octagon. As far as I'm concerned, Uh, the only issue with Kennedy is he's kind of a slow starter. He kind of likes to maybe I don't know if it's necessarily take rounds off or kind of ease into the fight or kind of see like what you're bringing to the table, make his reads and then uh you know go from there. But what I do know is this or what I think is this. I think the early going of that fight, Devin Clark's going to push him up against the fence, maybe get a takedown or two and it's going to look like, "Oh wow, like maybe Devin maybe Devin's turning a corner, maybe Devin's doing all these things. Come late first round, come second round, come third round. That's when you're going to see whether it's a, a long man choke, a darsa guillotine, an anaconda, whether it's a big knee, whether it's an uppercut, a left hook, a right hand, whatever the case may be, I think that Kennedy's going to catch Devin Clark somewhere along the way. Um, So, you know, like I said, he's a slow starter, so Devin is going to have moments in this fight for sure. I just think the longer this fight progresses, man, Kennedy is gonna find his opportunities to finish this fight. Not to mention this Jim, you know, who was coached by Safe Saud, the general, a guy we all hold we all hold in super high regard, a guy that when he speaks, we listen. Uh Safe Saud coached against Devin Clark before when Alonzo Menafield used to be at Forest MMA. Like let me, y'all, what's up with uh What's up with uh, Alonzo Menafield's life decisions? You go from Coach Safe Sayoud, like the general, the guy we all respect so much, to now you're training with that fucking weirdo, Pat Barry, You know, the groomer, Pat Barry, You know what I'm saying, bro? I'm Like, damn, interesting life decision. But uh, back to this, man. I think that they're going to come out here with the right game plan. I think somewhere along the way, Kennedy's going to find that shot, that guillotine, that whatever it may be. I think he's going to get Devin Clark out of there, and for that reason, I'm picking him. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Chaos, the Oxfighter, Williams, he's 13 and three, taking on Rolando Bedoya, who's 14 and one. Currently, they got it. Chaos Williams minus 300. They come back on Rolando Bedoya's plus 250. Uh, y'all know what Chaos brings to the table? Super exciting, big one punch knockout power. Also, the kind of guy where like. If you crack him with your hardest shot, you're probably going to break your hand before you rock him. And he's a very physical guy, like I said, uh, can land some takedowns. And at this point, a pretty damn seasoned and experienced UFC vet. Um, I love this kid, Rolando Bedoya. I mean, as a fan. How can you not love him? I mean, the guy brings it every single time. He's killer be killed. He trains how to shoot the box. Um, so that means he's in there with Charles Oliveira, with Alan Nascimento, with uh, Daniel Willie Catch Santos, who's also fighting on this card. So he's in there with the right guys. It's just the issue with uh, Rolando Bedoya is he's in the wrong weight class. I mean this guy this guy's a 55er fighting at 70 and look Rolando I got to give you credit bro to be a 55er and fighting at 70 your entire career and you make it to the UFC in the wrong weight class like hey kid you've been handling your opponents accordingly you've been finishing fights you've been doing your thing so you love to see it and the guy like I said the guy will go for broke he's exciting he's going to throw some flashy techniques and he's like I said, kill or be killed. But unfortunately, in this spot, I think it's be killed. But let me just say this: chaos is gonna win this fight most likely. But after this, like, let me see Rolando get on that, you know, UFC PI nutrition diet, and let's see you drop to 55, man. Cause like, I like I love the enthusiasm. I love the balls. I love the finishing instinct. I like this kid. I'm a fan. He's just in the wrong weight class here. This is a huge step up in competition. So probably going to take an L here, but uh, please drop to 55 your next fight, Rolando. I'm going Chaos Williams. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Marina Rodriguez. She's 16-2-2, two two, taking on Virna Zangidova, who's 18-3. And, and currently, they got it. Marina Rodriguez, minus 140. The comeback on virna Janji Dobos is plus 115. Just a little housekeeping note. Uh, Marina opened minus 275. So lots of actions coming on virna And I don't blame people. I mean, like, so kind of the way I see this fight is that so M- Marina has been uh, taken down in nine of her 11 UFC fights. And she's extremely tough, right? Like, she survived on the mat with Mackenzie Dern. And she tends to survive. The only issue is that surviving is not enough to win fights, right? Like you get taken down and you're surviving a credit to you that you're not getting submitted by these amazing black belts. So I love to see that because jujitsu is all about surviving. But to win, I need get ups, I need urgency. And I used to bet on Marina in a lot of fights and like, a lot of those fights should have gone my way like the the random marcos fight the cynthia calvillo fight and the exact same thing happened in both those fights first two rounds marina rodriguez is is putting on a striking clinic third round she gets taken down she just can't get up and she gets 10-8 in both those fights and that's why it was a draw and like so as far as the 10-8 is concerned you know it sucks if you're betting on her but you got to give her credit she's not getting finished she's tough as hell. It's just that here against Virna, Virna might only need two takedowns. And when I say that, that's assuming a submission doesn't happen, right? What I'm what I'm saying is, one takedown in round one, hold her down the duration of the round. One takedown in round two, hold her down the duration of the round, survive round three, you win. But my issue I've had with Virna is that she comes out super hard that first round, which I love but she tends to really slow down as fights progress. Marina Rodriguez is not someone you want to slow down against as, as fights unfold. So now my question is what kind of success is Verna having on the mat here? Are we talking about taking her down and insta-subbing her? Are we taking Are we talking about taking her down and holding her down for the, uh, The duration of the fight i mean the duration of those rounds or are we talking about a dominant first round by vienna and then marina takes over in the second and third round so so many possible outcomes that i don't know it makes it seem like a dogger pass but i think if marina can survive this first round that the takedowns are going to be kind of tougher to get for virna and that's where marina can just get up on strikes and kind of outpoint her and get those second and third rounds but not confident not confident this is a very interesting stylistic matchup May the best woman win i'm a lean marina but can i fault y'all for taking virna when this chick marina got taken down nine of her 11 fights and tends to and tends to not get back up from bottom when she does get taken down? so no i cannot blame y'all but i'm a lean marina rough first round second and third kind of out volume her a bit now next up in the heavyweight division we got parker porter he's 13 and a he's welcoming tony braxton who's five and one to the ufc currently they got a parker porter minus 160 The comeback on braxton smith is plus 130 Man, like, when I found out Tony Braxton was making the UFC debut, you know, it just brought back the, those memories from childhood. And, like, all bullshit aside, I mean, Braxton Smith, um, I mean, he can knock people out. He's explosive. He's a big heavyweight. You know, you know, Dana always says, we need heavyweights. It's just that, like, dude, like, none of these fights have gotten past, you know, only one fight got past the two-minute mark, and it was two minutes and three seconds uh, against a guy in edison lopez who's 11 and 8 and has been knocked out a ridiculous amount of times um so look i'm not discrediting your wins you got in there with those cans and you handled those cans accordingly it's just that now you're finally fighting a seasoned vet a guy who parker porter was fighting john jones on his regional scene parker porter knows what it means to have three ufc wins as well um so parker porter is the more experienced guy the more savvy guy it's just that there's absolutely a chance that parker porter gets starched i mean braxton starched all of his opponents parker's been starched on multiple occasions so of course you can't write off that possibility the thing is like what happens when braxton smith gets past the three minute mark what happens when braxton smith is on his back What happened when when Braxton Smith is finally fighting a guy with a winning record who, like, is experienced and isn't like these bums you've been fighting on the regional scene? What happens when Braxton gets under the bright lights for the first time? Like, knocking these cans you've been knocking out is not the same as knocking people out in the UFC. So, yeah, Braxton, KO, or bust. I'm not in the business of laying chalk on Porter, but I think Porter, I mean, I think he's too seasoned, too well-rounded, too experienced. Give give him a vet lesson if you don't get caught early. So I'm going to go Parker Porter. Now, oh, yeah, and D's brought up a good point. Leg kicks. Leg kicks. Parker's got some heavy leg kicks. So let's get that going, too. Next up in the middleweight division, we got a match between Ikram um, Aliskarov. He's 13-1, and one, taking on Phil Haas, who's 12-4. and four. Currently, they got it ikram minus 200 the comeback on phil haas is plus 165 uh this is an interesting fight because phil haas literally has everything i want in a fighter except the chin d1 wrestling one punch knockout power freak athlete like hey like dude if phil haas had a chin Like, oh my God, like like he could be a top 10 guy, but not having a chin in a sport like this, it's just so detrimental. And it's so unfortunate because of how skilled Phil Haas is. Like, I think Phil Haas is better than Ikram straight up. It's just that (laughs) because think about this, Ikram, his path to victories in most fights, he's taking these guys down. He's submitting them. He's doing all these things. I I don't, I don't, man, if, if he can come out here and submit Phil Haas, like, hey because i saw phil haas escape some nasty shit his last fight but that being said not only did he did he tear his fucking knee also got knocked out like how many more of these knockouts like can you take um but like ikram's normal plan is like out grappling these guys and if he can out grapple a d1 wrestler hey tip tip my cap you know raise my glass give you all the credit and deserve i, I just don't see that happening but what i Think there's a chance of happening is it's this competitive fight, and like, will y'all be surprised if uh Phil gets wobbled by a jab? Like, I know Ikram's not known for his power, but Phil ain't known for his chin, so it's it, it sucks because like I actually really think Phil is the better fighter here, um and I understand why people came in on, on the dog odds. It's just when Phil is dominating this fight, and then some random shot puts him out you got no one to blame but yourself so i'm gonna I'm pick the russian but i'm not betting him because his opponent's better it's just his opponent has no chin so it, it's one we'll sit back we'll watch let's see what kind of prospect ikram really is and let's see what phil haas has left that's where i'm at with that one now next up in the flyweight division we got a matchup between Zaga's Zuma Gulab. He's fourteen and eight, taking on Rafael Estevam, who is eleven and zero. Currently, they got it. Rafael Estevam minus two hundred. The comeback on Zaga's Zuma is plus one sixty. Listen, man, I'm I'm a fan of Zaga's, man. I mean, like uh, he trained with my buddy Cody Durden. Cody had nothing but nice things to say. Um, and then my boy Zaga's has like what six or seven wives, so. You know that's something we can all aspire to have. So like, just man to man, like bro, like you got my respect. Like, like you're a real one, Zagus, I fuck with you hard, but like, the thing about it is, man, Zagas, he's too small. He's too small. He's tiny. I mean, the guy's five four with a sixty six inch reach. It's like it's a. Like, it's like when my nephew comes over and he wants to play fight with me, you know, I, I just post my hand out on his head and then he's swinging and missing the whole time. And then afterwards, I give him a noogie, you know. We'll, we'll do those kind of things. But but actually betting Zagas in the UFC fight? No. And let me say this, too. Um, oh, what's up, Leo? Got my boy Leo in the house. What's up, my guy? Uh, so, basically, like, I was the only guy. If y'all go to MMA Decisions... And y'all type in the Zaga's versus um, Jeff Molina fight, and y'all type in the Zaga's versus Charles Johnson fight. I was literally the only guy that scored both those fights for Molina and for Johnson. And people might think I'm crazy. I don't give a fuck. I stand by that. Uh, to quote Deontay, to, to quote Deontay Wilder, to this day, to this day. You know what I'm saying? I'll tell y'all why. I'll tell y'all exactly why I stand by that. Uh, reason being, I mean, Molina what du- uh, like doubled him up on strikes, almost tripled him up on strikes. <laughs> like, I thought that was pretty clear. And then the Charles Johnson fight Charles is uh, uh, Zuma Gulav is out here, and it looks like he's active, but every single shot he throws is landing on the shoulder, landing off the elbow, swinging at air. Whereas when Charles was landing his shots on, on Zaga, is getting his head popped back. It's pretty damn evident that Johnson landed the way cleaner strikes on Zagas um and i i'll i'll take that to the grave um uh, as well as the Molina one um so I, I don't mind being the only guy on the fence i don't participate in this group thing bullshit you know i felt like i knew what i was watching and both guys outstruck zagas both guys landed cleaner on zagas zagas looks like he's very active but like i said He's swinging at air. He's swinging off shoulder. And then you go back to, like, his uh, fights prior to the UFC. Like I said about, like, my, li- my little nephew, like, the dude's 5'4 with a 66-inch reach. Like, dude gets bullied around every single fight. Um, he's 1-5 in the UFC now. He's retired already. And with Rafael Estevam, look, there's going to come a time to fade him for sure. But one thing he does nicely is he's relentless with his takedown attempts. He's a physical guy that that that's a very important point here a physical guy because one thing we've seen historically speaking with zagas he's able to be bullied consistently in his fights so yeah i mean i think that you know and also rafael comes from that Novo Niao background so this is a guy that trained with jose aldo leo santos Barra, johnny eduardo for years so um i think i think he's gonna be up to par i think he's gonna be relentless with those takedown attempts i just kind of think he's gonna kind of bully zaga's like all these other dudes bully zaga's um zaga's is too small but props to you bro for being a five foot four man with a 66 inch reach that has like six or seven wives like bro like (laughs) i'd love i'd love to go out with him like you know a night out on the town like like dude's a badass much respect to him but as far as picking him in UFC fights, I I just can't do it. I mean, Rafael, you know, we'll assess where he's at and you know, we'll we'll see what happens moving forward. But for this fight specifically, I think he's gonna get it done. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Joseph Holmes. He's eight and three, taking on Claudio Hibero, who is 10 and 3. Currently they got it. Claudio Hibero minus 175 uh the comeback on joseph holmes is plus 145 my boy said you are short too bro bro okay i'm short but like i when I, the weight class i compete in jujitsu is like 185 bro so me being short like five eight okay that's one thing Zaga's is like five four fighting at 125 so it's just a different it, it it's just kind of different, bro. Like no 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 one looks at me like I'm a child. Let's just put it that way. You know what I'm saying? And that's not disrespecting Zogas. I'm just saying, I don't get bullied around. But back to this fight, man. Um. So Joseph Holmes and Claudio, two guys that are super green. Um, interestingly enough, you know, because Claudio is a pretty big guy, Joseph's the bigger guy here. So it's six four for Joseph, six one for Claudio. 80 inch reach for Joseph, 77 inch reach for Claudio. Um, so he- here's my thing with this fight Joseph Holmes, I've kind of felt like he's kind of too green to be in the UFC. Um, like, I mean, when you lose to Jamie Pickett, like that, that's I don't need to say anything else, but with Claudio Ribeiro, he let me down badly in that last fight against Rizak. And, there's, there's no shame in getting caught by Razak, but what there was a shame in, let's not talk about the knockout sequence in round two. Let's talk about the end of round one. In round one, um, Razak hit him with something where you just saw all the fight and all the confidence immediately leave from Claudio Ribeiro. And prior to that, Claudio was landing some nice shot. He was popping back Razak's head, landing some big calf kicks. And my impression, the vibes I got from Claudio going into his UFC debut, I thought he was going to be one of those guys, like kind of like a hybrid of like a Johnny Walker and a Michelle Pereira where, you know, he's going to, do a dance on the way to the octagon he's gonna do a million backflips Gonna have some unorthodox techniques but gets away with it with ridiculous athleticism so while i did watch his regional scene and saw that his chin was in the air i thought that he was kind of like athletic enough to maneuver around and that 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 wasn't the case right uh and then with holmes he's just a very green unfinished product but at least he's I mean, should we say he's been in there with the better competition? Because I don't know, man. I've got I've got Razak to, be, to beat uh, Jamie Pickett, uh, but Iron is pretty fucking good, you know? So, but bottom line, I, I guess I'll lean Claudio, but, like, I, after that last stunt, I ain't laying no minus 190, no minus 175. I also would not be surprised if Holmes got it done. So, to me, I have no idea. It's a pass. I'll pick Claudio, but. Let's, let's just sit back and assess exactly where both these guys are at. Preston brought up a good point about the price. Look, it's a dog or pass situation. At these odds, it's dog or pass. So it's about, are you willing to give him a chance or not? Because, I mean, Claudio, did, Cla- some of the shit Claudio was doing that last fight was really, really bad. My boy Brett brought up a good point. The judges are Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, and Derek. And Derek can't see so clearly. So, yeah. Um now, last but not least, fuck yeah, this curtain jerker is great. We got Daniel willy Catchy Santos. He's 10 and 2, taking on Johnny Munoz Jr., who's 12 and 2. This is in the Bantamweight division. Currently they got it. Daniel catchy Santos, minus 185. The comeback on Johnny Munoz Jr. is plus 150. So sorry. I, <laughs> We're not doing cocaine. I just uh, have a little bit of a runny nose, so don't don't even try me on some shit. Plus, I don't like uppers. I, I'm more of a downer guy. You know what I'm saying? Because like, I don't even drink coffee or or Red Bull or anything. Like, and no disrespect to those that do. I actually love the smell of coffee, and I actually like the process of making it for someone else. But like, I'm already amped as it is, so I I just I like, can't do all that shit. It'll like make my heart race like way too fucking much. But. Back to this. So I bet on Daniel Willie Catch Santos um, in both his UFC fights. Plus 160 against Arce, plus 175 against Castaneda. One for one, we profited. Um, and he's a guy that's going to fight for your money, and he's a guy with a lot of balls. He's a guy – I respect Daniel Santos so much because let's talk about prior to UFC. He challenged to fight my buddy Robert Hale. And let's put, th- let's put this in context. Daniel Willie Catchy Santos – is a, is a is a bantamweight my boy robert hale is a welterweight <laughs> Danielle willie catch santos was down to fight robert so like <laughs> and it's funny because i think we didn't take that fight because it was like in russia and we know the kind of stunts they're going to pull they're going to leave you at the airport then you're going to show up they're going to do everything to fuck up your wake cut and then they're going to give you a twenty-three and oh Russian at the last minute, and if you decline the fight, they're going to send you home without a paycheck, right? So we were like, "Yeah, we're not getting into that bullshit." Like it just seems sketch. They were offering a bantamweight to a welterweight. We're like, "Yeah, tell tell us what you're really offering us." they were probably really offering us a twenty-five and oh Russian, right? Uh, yeah, okay, dude. So, but that shows the balls of Daniel. Danielle Willie Catch Santos was willing to fight a welterweight, no issue. So. I got to give him a lot of credit. And Daniel Santos is the kind of guy he's going to walk forward, comes from that shoot the box camp. You know, like I said, with Charles Oliveira, with Alain Nascimento, with uh, even this kid, Rolando Bedoya on the car, and just a bunch of other studs. Uh, My boy, what's the name of my boy uh, that was fighting CJ Vergara, Daniel Lacerda, he's in that camp too. So I love that camp, man, especially what they've become lately, man. Uh, so Daniel Santos, insane pressure, going to walk you forward, going to walk you down. and He's willing to eat one to give one. He's willing to eat ten to give one, man. Um, and as long as his chin holds up, the guy has problems. And then on the mat, because the concern is Johnny Munoz has that jujitsu background, and Johnny Munoz is a respectable black belt. And to take it a step further, I feel like Johnny Munoz might uh, be starting to feel more comfortable inside the octagon, feels like he's figuring things out, and he's been getting better um the thing is if people are concerned about the black belt of muñoz potentially being an issue against daniel willy santos the reason that i'm not too concerned is because i've seen footage of daniel santos in there with black belts like alan Nascimento in the gym and he tapped out alan Nascimento. now granted the gym and the fight are two different things but all i'm saying is when you're training with black belts like du bronx Oliveira and alan Nascimento, puro oso like I mean, is Johnny Munoz going to present you with something you haven't seen from those guys? Probably not. So while I respect the improvements that Johnny Munoz has been making, I just simply think that the pressure, the will to win, the tenacity, just just that fire that Daniel is going to bring to the table is going to be too much. So for that reason, I'm picking him. I mean, the reason I didn't bet him is, look, last two times I bet him plus 175. I bet him plus 160. This minus 185 to minus 190 it seems about right, so I don't really feel like I have an edge here, but my pick is going to be uh, Danielle catchy Santos to win this fight. All right, so I got to talk about the fight to watch. I got to talk about the fighter to watch, and then I am down to answer any of y'all's questions, read y'all comments. So right now is a good chance for y'all to to write some stuff in the chat, and I'll get back to it. And then also for everybody catching the replay, or some of y'all that don't want to participate in in the in the Q and A now. Please hit the like button. Please subscribe if you're not already subscribed. And when this is over, leave me a comment. And if you want to be the real MVP, share this, man. Like, let's get the word out, man. Like I, uh, like I said, this platform we built together. This platform is not. No one's endorsing us. No one's giving us any handouts. I built this podcast studio myself. I built this fucking channel myself. And I built all y'all's amazing support by myself. So all the help y'all give me is amazing. We're still going all these years strong. And I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface. There's so many different levels uh, that that I'm trying to get to. So all y'all, you know, showing me the love y'all have means a lot. Let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So my fight to watch, I mean, I got, (laughs) I mean, Y'all know I want to go Bilal and Gil. Y'all know I want to go jean Ann and Andraj, but to give y'all a little something else, I mean, come on, man. Drew Dober versus Matt Frivola, you're telling me that that's not going to be absolute chaos, especially in New Jersey. Uh, Matt Frivola kind of close to his backyard. He's going to have, like, get ready for people to be like, steamroller. You know what I'm saying, man? And these two are going to stand and bang. They're going to put on a show. Drew Dober doesn't have boring fights. Um, that's my fight to watch my fighters to watch y'all know Bilal and Zhao Nan. but to give you all a different one um let's go with chaos Williams I know he's a big favorite but let's let's see if he performs like a big favorite and then Daniel Willie catchy Santos like you cannot miss a Daniel Santos fight this guy's all violence all action goes forward the entire time I fucking love this kid all those guys are my fighters to watch all right cool now it's time for uh you know me to read y'all's comments respond to y'all's questions so if y'all got any questions any comments anything you want me to address now's the time to leave it below and let me see what y'all got all right so Scott Smith. What's up, Scott? He said, what's the record on coin flips? I know you hit the Muhammad Usman over Tafa. I'm going to bet every coin flip till it loses. You mean like coin flips in terms of the odds or coin flips like on half the battle when I literally flip a coin? Um, I don't remember. Like I lost count. Um, but I know I got the Muhammad Usman one right, but I don't even remember what the other one I coin flipped on was. If If you all remember, let me know. We see so many fucking fights that it's easy to lose track of this stuff. But Scott, man, I appreciate you being in here, bro. Um, Moneyline, I made a great point. They should change the rule in terms of like, y'all heard like my rant about how you shouldn't be able to win the belt off getting knocked out like like Aljo did against uh, Peter the first time. Like, yeah, it was, it was an illegal strike and a DQ is legit, but like it should be a DQ. Yeah, and and Peter shouldn't have the belt, but you but you can't, in my opinion, you can't call someone a champ who just got knocked out. Like, you, you just can't. So I agree with you. Um, maybe it's just weird because it's like if it's a DQ, then it has to be a win for the other guy. But, like, maybe change it to a no contest, even though it was clearly an illegal knee. I don't know. It's just such a weird gray area because I truly don't think – maybe change it to a non-title fight. Give the the DQ win to Aljo. Give uh, Peter the loss, but don't give anyone a belt. Maybe that's the solution. Dominic agrees that was a really bad look. It was a really bad look. Um, The Quag says he killed it last week. He bet Song by stoppage and Trey Waters by decision. Wow, great job, bro. Fantastic. JSJ23 said, happy Bilal fight week, Dan. Less cash plus money again. Happy Bilal and Shao Nan fight week, my guy. Yes, sir. Um, Money Liar said, he said, I love, he loves how I say Peter, Piotr, Peter, Peter, whatever it is. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, uh, let's see what else y'all got for me. Ghost. Ghost Gardner says, my concern is Sterling has to get the fight down to win, which creates a narrow path to victory for him. Yeah, unless he can like do what Marlon Moraes did in that first round, kind of chop down Henry's Henry's legs and just use that length, but not slow down. That see that see that's the big thing. Not slowing down because Sterling tends to slow down. So yeah, I agree with you. Um Dominic predicts that Suhudo comes back like John Jones. I'd love to see it um but ghost says sterling is massive though compared to the to to henry the size advantage is real size advantage is real um it's just about what's the technique and and the fight iq advantage uh the in-fight decision making who holds that advantage can't wait to see um let's see my boy sparring with reality liana Jajuna, top five go uh, conversation. You know what I'm saying. Hey, I'm glad you're in here with me. Addicted to combat. Hey, he said the list of prime killers at 205. Jones beat. He beat everyone uh, of my favorites. Dude, like John Jones literally beat like a couple different eras of the sport and cleared it out. Still never lost a UFC fight. This many years later, bro. It, like, are we approaching like a decade and a half, two decades? Like that isn't that is unheard of. Um. uh, Londo said, if Jones doesn't fight Pavlovich, he's a coward. (laughs) Bro, listen to me, bro. Firstly, John Jones is not a coward. Secondly, money talks. Thirdly, John said, look, no one knows about Sergey Pavlovich. No one gives a shit except, like, us hardcores. But money talks. And if UFC wants to make it worth his time, you will take it. Trust me. John Jones is not afraid of any man. I mean, he was trying to fight Francis for the longest time, bro. So... You know, let, let's just see what happens after the Steefe fight. We take it from there. Professor chaos says, how would you see Al Jover's patchy mix play out? Uh, shit. That's tough. Probably patchy. Cause he's like more of a threat standing and then they're both huge threats on the map, but yeah, I don't really know. I haven't thought about it. Um, <laughs> Brett said Aljo's acting was DiCaprio level. You know, what's funny, bro. I fucking love Leo DiCaprio, the departed catch me. If you can bunch other ones, but those two are my fucking all time favorites, man. I just like, I've literally watched catch me. If you can, and the departed like hundreds of times and it never gets old. It's just two such classics, man. So yeah, love for Leo DiCaprio. And, uh, Aljo should have definitely won, you know, the uh, the Academy Award for, you know, Actor of the Year that, that year, you know? Um, Creep said, Bilal's fight against Brady was a banger, Bilal, a super fighter, fight IQ, a super high IQ fighter, and always fights to his opponent's weakness. So, yeah, that's what I was alluding to. What game plan is he going to come out with here? That's what I'm very curious to see because every single time, like I mentioned in the breakdown, he's got a different approach every single time they fight. So, for sure. Um, Londo said he likes Bilal by KO. I'd, I'd love to see that, especially, I think the better chance of that happening is down the stretch. But, yeah, I'd love to see that. But I'm worried about the Gilkayo. Do I think Bilal's been texting Habib at all? 100%. 100%. Like, those guys, super close. Um, So he's definitely been getting some insight, for sure, from the great Habib. (laughs) Ghost Gardener said Dan pissed because they didn't let Bilal, uh, you know, bored brady like like stiffen him and drop him i am man because like when Bilal has to hear all this bullshit about how he's not a finisher and this and that and you have a clear highlight real knockout that's about to happen and then the ref stops it with a standing tk oh don't get me wrong brady was done but like let's give Bilal that 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 highlight real knockout that he's been missing his entire career man i, I kind of felt like they fucked him on that <laughs> um And Deez says, Shanann has improved so much. She sure has. She sure has. Um, Kenshiro says, Yan yeah, Shanann is very reliable. Well, according to the numbers, uh, this is correct. Let's see. Quag says, standing Kimura's work, you just can't let the opponent clasp their hands together. That's the key. Yeah, and uh, both those examples I mentioned, Rose against Andraj and Nate Diaz against Rory they let the opponent uh, clasp the hands together. And the reason the opponent is able to clasp the hands together is because the person attempting the camorra wasn't able to, um, cut the proper angle to not allow the person to get their hands clasped together. Um, small world says if Evlove can finish anyone, it's a guy in sh- on short notice. Um, he's got Evlove by rear naked choke. um, yeah, I I get your point, bro. But like, Evloev, like you got to think about this, man. Um, firstly, he's never finished a fight in the UFC. Uh, second, and we're dealing with like opponents like Sung Woo Choi, right? Um, and then this other guy that he's fighting is like, from what I've seen, he's got pretty legit jujitsu. So, it'd be cool to see Evloev get that finish. I'd be happy to see it, but. My my pick is that Evlov takes them all three. Um, JGO says, Jordan is a slow starter, but once he gets some momentum going with striking, it's going to be a very tough for Kron. Yeah, assuming nothing crazy happens on the mat, I agree. Um, MMA420 says, out of his 10 UFC fights, Korean Superboy and Kulabau were the only people to not take down Jordan. Yeah. No facts. I mean, like I said, I've seen him even not get taken down. I've seen him throw kicks and fall, right? So that's all. It might only take one. It might only take one. Um, but you know, this flat earther likes to stand and bang with Cub Swanson instead of submitting a guy who's been submitted like what? How many times? Well, granted, he couldn't get him down. So props to Cub. Um, Guru said, I Can't wait to talk these fights with you tonight, brother. Y'all in the chat better like this video. Yeah, tonight, um, 8, eight p.m. Eastern time. I'm gonna hop on chronic conver- conversations with my boy Guru and TB. Excited to do that. I'm be repping my my Braves gear. You know, these guys are hardcore Mets fans. So you know we, we gotta let them know who daddy is. You know what I'm saying? Um all right, let me see if y'all got anything else for me, man. Lando says he's on Clark Moneyline. Best of luck. But D says Kennedy's wrestling is going to surprise a lot of people. I can see it. My boy Charles Barkley said that pace Durton said last week was insane. Dude, Durton set the record for second most takedowns landed in a flyweight fight with 11. The only person to beat him is uh, Mohammed Wakayev set the same record, well, set record with one more with 12, ironically enough, against the same opponent, Charles Johnson. So it's cool to see my boy Cody in in the record books. Um. Let's see. Y'all got anything else for me? I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Um. Yeah, it's looking like that. Might be, uh. Um. D says, natural uh, Robbie said, you are very quick to not be disrespectful. Um, I think that's a compliment, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Charles said, Do you do tap topology uh to follow your picks? Nah, man, I do my picks on half the battle. And my bets are tracked on Bet MMA tips. You can also follow me on Twitter at best fight picks. But the topology, I mean, I love looking at topology, but, you know, I'm not, I don't have enough time for all that. I'm already tracking my bets. I'm already giving them out on here, Um, you know, but, but knock yourself out. Keep going for it, man. You know, if you enjoy doing it, but by all means, um, who's the biggest bum I regret betting on (laughs) how much time you got, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? How much time you got, bro? Um, Let's see. Favorite prop bet on the card. I'm I'm not a prop guy. Uh, There's guys that are much better at that than me. I'm just not into it. I mean, it's already tough enough to pick who's going to win the fight, let alone find the value. And then when we're talking about methods and stuff, and yeah, you can hit some lottery spots and, you know, go big from time to time, but I mean, cash big from time to time. But for me, I'm just... Just give, just give me the right side at the right price and I'm good to go. But everyone's style is very different. Um, he says I can't support Bilal after the way he cried in the cage, bro. All right. What I want you to do right now is I want you to take your finger and I want you to stick it into your eye to where your knuckle actually goes in. And just just go just go knuckle deep. Go knuckle deep into your eye. And just let me know how you feel. That, that's all I need to know. Um, it's not like he cried because he lost the decision. It's not like he cried because uh, he took a punch to the face. Like, like I said, t- take your index finger, go knuckle deep into your eye, and let me know how you feel straight up. And then who even knows what kind of fingernails Leon has too, you know what I'm saying? And let's not, let's, let, let's not forget about this. It wasn't just a little, you know, let's do it slow. It was a, you know what I'm saying? So try that. Let me know how you feel. Um, Uncle Scoob knows what he's talking about. Leo in the conversation for, for acting goat, the departed. Catch me if you can add Django. Yeah. Departed and catch me if you can, bro. I, just, I mean, I fucking own those on DVD to this day, to this day. You know what I'm saying? Um, Small world, said Andraj Got some tricks, man. That finish against Lemos. Yeah, I mean that was a great standing arm triangle. Professor Chaos, we need a standing arm triangle tutorial. Um, it's just like a normal arm triangle, just standing. <laughs> you, you, you. So instead of like being on the ground using the floor, you're using the cage or the fence as the floor. Um, but this week for my technique of the week, I got the Russian Ronda armbar. So I'm excited about that. Small World says, I hit that dirt and bet thanks to you. I played his decision, his KO, um, and his KO or points as his hedge. So <laughs> Dominic said, I love going knuckle deep. <laughs> Balls deep, too. Um, yeah, uh, someone said, a DC cried, too, and he's a hell of a fighter. Yeah, you know, like when you give your life to something and you have this dream and it's taken from you, I mean, dude, like – if you've ever wanted something so badly and you give your blood, sweat, and tears in your life and all this sacrifice and it doesn't go your way, like we're human, like we're, we're, we're allowed to cry. It's okay. All those guys y'all are making fun of would fuck y'all up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So just saying, man. All right. Last call. If not, I'm getting out of here. Truly, truly appreciate it. Y'all make sure y'all hit that that like button. Subscribe if you're not already subscribed leave me a comment after this is done. Feel free to share. That's greatly appreciated. And then also my new series, the technique of the week comes out every Friday on my YouTube channel. And it's just basically want to make it just fun and easy to learn some jujitsu techniques. I try to keep it under 90 seconds, ideally under 60 seconds, and just try to spread some knowledge, whether you've never trained a day in your life and you just want to kind of know some little details of what's going on in jujitsu or or if you are training and who knows, maybe I'll show you something you haven't seen before. You never know. So bottom line is it's just a lot of fun for me. Um, And if I can help someone out along the way, I love it. So tune in for the technique of the week on Friday. It's going to be the Russian Ronda knee bar. So I'm very excited to do that. All right, y'all, thank y'all so much um, for for everything. All y'all support, y'all being here means a lot. And uh, let's keep it going. So best of luck to all y'all with your bets. You know, uh, love yourself and and someone else. You know what I'm saying? That just spread love, spread positivity. And uh, until the next time, let's cash these bets.